the Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book 5, Critical Spring. Chapter 9, Raid on the Dairy. Phew! Martin fanned his free hand in front of his nose. Cows never smell good, Martin, Margaret said. She gently wiped the udder and teats of Genevieve with warm water. A temporary stall was set up near the windows for better light. The other five cows were out of their pens, happily munching on alfalfa hay, waiting their turn for inspection. A young woman, one of the Cheshire residents working at the dairy, peeked over the back of Genevieve. Actually, their poops seem to stink a little less these days, as far as cow poops go. Oh, that's probably because of their lean diet lately, Margaret patted the teats dry with a dish towel. Margaret leaned back on her short stool. Not a lot of calories in straw and water, is there, girl? Genevieve turned to cast an eye back at Margaret. But it's been helping. Yes, it has, Margaret used her baby talk voice. Your udder is lots smaller than last week. No signs of any nasty inflammation, either. Isn't that good news? Yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. I don't mean the cows, said Martin. I mean this stuff. He held out the quart jar at arm's length. He squinted and turned away for fresh air. Margaret put three fingers into the jar to scoop out some of the brown ointment. Could be the cloves and garlic. They're both antimicrobial, but they don't play well together. She rubbed her palms together quickly to warm the ointment before stroking the oily salve on the cow's teats. You're right that it smells worse than hot gym socks. Still, it must have some antibacterial qualities. The girls are halfway through their drying off period and none of them are showing any signs of mastitis. Well, I must be part bacteria, Martin said without turning back. I'm repelled. Oh, stop being so dramatic. We're all low on medical supplies, so we needed to try this mystery goop of Candace's. For as much trouble as she's been to the town, her crunchy granola past has been a good thing. Well, so far, it looks like this homebrew stuff is working. A rapid clanging of metal on metal began high above them. Martin quickly handed the jar to Margaret and unslung his carbine. The alarm. Someone in the cupola has seen something. He moved toward the door, listening for clues. The man in the cupola fired a shot. Martin reached for the big do iron door handle, but the door swung away from him. The daylight was jarringly bright, after the darkness of the barn. Uh, there's some men, said Andy, his eyes wide. Andy turned left suddenly and braced himself with his bowstaff. Hee-yah! Andy was quickly shoved out of view by two dark shapes. They flung open the barn door. Martin raised his carbine to put the sights on the first man. He hesitated for a moment, trying to identify if the silhouette was a dairy worker or a stranger before pulling the trigger. In that second, the strangers were upon him. The first man swung a wide backhand that knocked Martin's carbine aside. The second blow shoved Martin to the floor. The man ran deeper inside the barn. Martin rolled onto his knees. He padded around in the dim light, searching for his carbine. The women and the cows flew into a chaos of motion. A woman screamed. Cows bellowed and stomped in all directions, knocking over temporary stanchions. One cow shrieked. Martin found his carbine and his footing, just in time to be bowled over by several cows rushing for the open doors. 
This time, he held a tighter grip on the carbine. The cows rushed through the door and then scattered. The three strangers ran after them with knives held high. One man ran after a pair of Holsteins that galloped off to the right. The other two men ran after Genevieve and Heidi, the two Swiss Browns, who broke left. As Martin regained his footing, he saw a dairy worker with a handgun follow the man chasing the Holsteins. So Martin decided to run left. The two strangers were running at full sprint after the two Swiss Browns. The men ran, each with a long knife clutched in his fist. The cows tried zigging and zagging to escape their pursuers. This only allowed the men to close the gap. Martin ran as fast as he could over the uneven ground of the paddock. He was only keeping pace with the two men. A shot cracked from behind Martin. He flinched. The stranger on the right spun halfway around and crashed into the ground, head first. His legs kicked as they sailed up over his body. The man was down, writhing on the brown stubble. Martin altered his course to chase the other man. Both cows jumped the low wooden fence that separated the back paddock from the woods. The stranger stopped at the railing and turned. He faced Martin with his knife held in front of him. Martin skidded to a stop about fifteen yards away. He wanted a wider gap, but he couldn't stop fast enough. He shouldered his carbine. Before he could get his sight on the man's chest, another crack rang out from behind him. A spray of fabric erupted from the man's chest. He staggered back. When his back hit the fence, he bounced forward, falling to his knees. Martin kept his sights on the man, but from the way he collapsed backward, like a rag doll, it was clear a follow-up shot wouldn't be necessary. Martin circled to the left so he could approach the downed man from the side. He kept his front sight on the man's chest, but the man did not move. Red Colliff ran up, carrying his scoped deer rifle. He was clearly out of steam. Oh, man, Red said between deep wheezing breaths. I haven't run like this in too long. Red stopped a few yards from the man. He leaned an arm upon one knee to catch his breath. The deer rifle hung in his other hand, stock resting on the ground. Is he dead? Yeah, looks like it, Martin said. Yeah, thanks for getting him to stand still, Red said. Made him easier to scope in. Uh, sure. A second man from the dairy called out from beside the first fallen raider. This one's still alive, but not for long, from the looks of things. Ah, this one's dead, Red hollered back. This one's got the axe. Does that one? The other man said yes, and reported that the third raider had been killed out on the road. He had the axe, too. Ah, dang these guys, Red grumbled. Caught a shorthanded. Most of our people are at the town farm these days, helping make the charcoal. What with the cows dried off and waiting for Kevin, yeah, there's not much for him to do around here. It looked like they were after the cattle, Martin said. What were they going to do with them if they succeeded? That beats me. Thing is, now we got a couple of cows lost in the woods, said Red. Better get after them as soon as we can before they get too far. They could get miles away if they're scared. Head back to the house and get a couple of guys to go with you. Oh, and uh, tell Raymond to come and see me on your way by. I'll have him head up the second search group. Martin trotted back to the barn. 
He remembered hearing Margaret shouting as he ran after the raiders, so he felt reasonably sure she was okay. He would check on her, gather his bag, Andy, and someone else to form a search group. He stood in the barn doorway for a moment. It took his eyes a while to adjust to the dark barn interior. Oh, Martin, thank God you're okay. Margaret's voice sounded relieved. I heard shots. Martin walked slowly toward her voice. Yeah, that, that was red. He hit both of the raiders with his rifle. Uh, where are you? He squinted into the darkness. I'm in the third stall. His eyes were adjusting to the dim interior. He could make out Margaret behind the boards of the stall. Now those creeps stabbed Rosalie, Margaret said. Uh, is it bad? Oh, not as bad as I think they intended. It's pretty deep, but it seems to be only in her shoulder muscle. We have the bleeding stopped and have her calmed down. Martin's eyes could make out the white bandages on the reddish Guernsey's back. He noticed bandages on Margaret's forearm. Well, what happened to your arm? he asked. I must have cut it on one of the stanchions or something when I fell. No, no biggie. I'll smell like gym socks for a while, though. Annie helped me get some of the bandages on it, see? She wiggled her fingers. Good as new. She turned to face him. Are the other cows okay? Uh, is Jenny okay? Don't know. Actually, that's what I came back for. Those raiders chased them into the woods. We need to go find them. Red certain that they won't know their way back. Margaret stepped out of the stall. Right, let's go. Well, not so fast. Martin held up his hands to stop her. There could still be other raiders out there, and you have a patient to tend to. Margaret looked torn between nursing and rescue. Rosalie mooed a sort of moan that sealed the deal. Margaret would remain in the barn. Well, find Jenny fast. I don't want her getting all stressed and maybe dropping her calf prematurely. She's still got a good three weeks to go. Right. I'm taking Andy, and I'll go up to the house and draft someone. You be a good doctor now. He pulled her hair aside and gave her a peck on her clean cheek. With his backpack retrieved from the corner, he rushed out into the daylight. Okay, men, Red was modeling General Patton as he paced back and forth. We've got two cows lost out there in the woods. They haven't been out there before, so they'll have no idea which way is home. Raymond, you and your team, head up that way. I saw one of them cut right after jumping the fence. Martin, you and your team go after the other one. She ran straight in. Then I lost sight of her. And when we find them, asked Raymond, how are we going to rope them in the woods? Well, you won't, said Red flatly. Odds are they won't let you get close enough to grab their halters. Fact is, men, these beasts are probably spooked, and you're going to look like predators when they see you. You get inside their runaway bubble, and they'll bolt. Try talking softly and moving slowly, but mostly try to get on the opposite side of them and slowly herd them back this way. The men in each group looked at each other as if expecting their teammates to explain how that herding worked. Up until then, all of the cows stayed in the small paddock or the barn. Now get started. Find them before it starts getting dark or they'll bed down and be darned impossible to spot. They'd be up before dawn and could get miles away. Martin's team included Andy and a young man named Dan, who worked at the dairy. They followed a visible trail of torn-up leaf litter and broken branches. 
The trail stayed fairly straight, then meandered before growing faint. Dan and Andy studied the ground for trail signs. Martin kept an eye out with his hand on the carbine's grip. He could almost imagine seeing other raiders in the woods, faces behind every large tree. Dan had been an avid hunter before the crisis. He knew what deer signs should look like, and he was an avid forager. He knew what an undisturbed forest ought to look like. Together, they had an eye for misplaced leaves or bent twigs. Yeah, it looks like they went this way, Dan pointed down a gentle slope to the left. Yeah, I don't want to sound all, uh, you know, all contrary, said Andy, but I think she went this other way, he pointed to the right. See? Fresh broken twigs. And there's another one over that way. I bet Cozy Cow went this way. So, countered Dan, I've got broken twigs headed off this way, and over there, a big scrape from a stumble. And her name is Genevieve, by the way, not Cowsy Cow. Martin studied both sets of marks. Dan's trail looks bigger. Let's follow it for a while and see where it leads. Tie a little something at this fork so we can check this other trail if this first one doesn't pan out. And he pulled off part of the ragged edge of his frayed jeans cuff and tied it to a branch. Looks like she stumbled a lot here. Leaves turned over here and over there and up here, said Dan. Here, cozy cow, Andy called with his hands cupped around his mouth. Cozy cow, we come in peace. She's not going to come to you, and her name is Genevieve, Dan snarked. Oh, I remember what you said and stuff. I was just thinking that a little nickname might seem less formal, uh, you know? Put her at ease? I mean, what toothsome predator would go around calling out cowsy cow, all right? Dan rolled his eyes. We've been following this trail for a couple of hours now, Dan said as he leaned against a tree to rest. It's faint, but seems kind of wide. Think she's zigzagging because she feels lost? Martin shrugged. He paused and cocked his head. I think I hear splashing water. Maybe it's that stream you were talking about. Let's keep following this trail to the stream and take a break there. I can filter up some water for us to drink. Oh, 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 Andy raised his hand to be called on. And I, I've been seeing some really fine fiddleheads uh, back there uh, with some ground ivy and stuff. Uh, we could have a little wild veggie soup for lunch. It is lunchtime, after all. Uh, gotta keep up our strength. Martin nodded his approval. Andy scurried back up the gentle slope. Martin peered up and down the little stream bed. He saw no one. Dan stood guard with his pistol. Martin pulled his filter and bag out of his backpack. Balancing on the mossy rocks, he scooped water into the bag so it could drip through the filter. While pouring water into the filter's bag, his eye was drawn to four rocks, each about the size of a large shoebox. Three rocks formed a triangle in the shallow water. A fourth rock sat on top of the others, a simple pyramid. None of them had moss on them. Hey, check this out. Dan pointed to a few oak branches with last year's coppery-brown leaves still on them. There are some backpacks under here. Dan removed the branches and pulled the packs out with a long stick. Four of them, 
Yeah, I bet they belong to those raiders. Well, I bet you're right. Martin's fingers tightened around the grip as he looked into the woods in a full circle. There were three in the barn. That leaves one more. Dan held his pistol at low ready. Think number four is around here? He could be hiding. We made plenty of noise getting here, especially that guy hollering cowsy cow. Well, if he's around here, he's not likely to show himself. The other three had only knives. There's two of us with guns. Whoa, hey, here's something else. Dan pointed to a hole in the ground, about the size of a small stew pot. There are ashes in this hole, Dan said. He hesitatingly lowered his hand into the hole. No coals, but not totally cold either. The raiders spent the night here. Sure is a lot of ash for just one night. Martin glanced back at the pile of four rocks. Might have been other raiders and other knights. See those rocks on the other side there? I'm guessing that was a marker. Other raiders may have come up this little stream and bedded down here. Think there are other raiders around? Dan looked left and right. They don't seem to travel in big groups or close together, so I'd say no. Still, keep a sharp ear and eye. Still got number four at large. Martin stooped down to examine the hole and ashes. Looks like they made a Dakota fire hole here. Good for keeping a low profile. What do you say we use their fire hole to boil our water? Eh, deal. I'll gather up some firewood, said Dan. Martin continued to filter water until he had nearly two quarts. Dan had kindled a fire in the fire hole. He laid a grid of green maple branches across the gaps for Martin's small pot to sit upon. Boiling drinking water, even after filtering, was still prudent. Too many people had suffered from what the locals called beaver fever, from water that they thought looked clean but carried microscopic parasites. After the first pot boiled, Martin poured the hot water into his metal water bottle and let it set in the shallow water of the stream to cool down. The second pot of water was starting to steam when the crunch of footsteps announced Andy's return. Oh, hey-ho there, my hungry cow-searching teammates. Uh, we're all going to need a long nap after consuming such a big lunch. Yeah, look at what I found. Andy held his folded arms up, but it afforded no better view of what he had in the fold of his jacket. Oh, got some fiddleheads, for sure. Nice plump ones, too. Found some ground ivy, some garlic mustard, uh, just for flavor. And the prize of resistance. Ta-da! Andy held a long, craggy root in his dirty right hand. Burdock! Oh, yay! It kind of broke off, uh, so this is all I got. But it's a beaut. It'll make for a hearty soup, that's for sure. I'll go wash it up. Uh, hey, wait a minute. Well, where did you guys get all those backpacks? The raiders, said Martin. And here's a little bag of hominy, my travel snack. Add that to your soup while Dan and I check out these packs. I think we were following the raiders' trail. Martin said to Dan. That would explain why it was a wide trail for just one cow. It was four men. So far, these packs have the same stuff, said Dan. A rolled-up wool blanket, a canteen, and water pills. There's some socks in this one, a hoodie in that one. All four have these hard rock biscuit things. They were traveling light, said Martin. Looks like they were all packed and ready to go, too. There's nothing here to explain what they were going to do with the cows. Martin pondered the ill logic of the raid and then muttered to himself, 
Maybe they only planned to kill them and run away. Ah, oh, here's something. Dan unfolded a square of paper. It was in the front pocket of that green one there. It looks like a bunch of squiggle writing and some numbers. A uh, code, maybe? Martin peered over Dan's shoulder. Some of the shapes looked like Korean figures, or Sanskrit, but written by someone with tremors. There were interspersed three-digit numbers written in a steadier hand. Yeah, we'll take this back and see if anyone else can sort this code out. Hey, dude, says, soup's on. Uh, what, what you all looking at? Some coded message in one of the raiders' backpacks. Martin held the paper out for Andy to see. Whoa, hey, that's pretty cool. Uh, but you're holding it wrong. I'm what? Oh, yeah, it goes like this. Andy turned the paper counterclockwise. Part of it is a map, uh, sort of, kind of. I recognize that triangle of three lakes there with the little rivers that come together in the middle of them. Uh, yeah, that's a spot down in Kingston. It was one of the places we were going to set up our paleo village of eternal peace. There's a nature preserve in the middle there. Yeah, I checked it out. Really nice. Yeah, but it turned out to be a little too popular with the locals. Oh, no privacy, you know. Yeah, limited food sources. If that's up, then why are all these numbers written on their sides? asked Dan. Oh, I don't know, eh? You'd have to ask the guy who made the map. Yeah, maybe he was a lefty or something. Oh, yeah, hey, he could be that. You know how they sometimes write with their arms all curled around like this and, and then write kind of upside down and... Hmm, Martin stroked his chin. Then these other little figures are just intersection markers. They were to follow the river or stream until it forked. That would explain these crooked squiggles. Right fork, right fork, left fork. And there's only numbers after these dot squiggles. Compass headings? Uh, I bet you're right. None of these numbers are over 360. This last one, after the triangle of the three dots and one in the middle, which I'll bet is that stack of rocks out there, that number is 185, which would be just about right for a heading from here to the dairy. Well, while you guys were getting all thinky over that map, uh, your soup's getting cold. Uh, come on over and eat. Gotta say, Martin spoke with his mouth full as he chewed the last of his burdock rounds. We did pretty good for an improvised lunch in the woods. The other two nodded as they finished off their cups of soup. We need to resume our search for Genevieve and get this stuff to Chief Berg. Oh, we don't got a search, Mr. S. I already found Cowsy Cow. What? Where? Why didn't you say something sooner? Well, uh, what is a uh, cowsy cow and where is uh, right over there? Andy pointed up the slope to a thicket about 20 yards away from the three men. As for why I didn't say something, uh, well, you know, you guys looked all famished and in need of a good lunch. And I could see cowsy cow the whole time. Well, she wasn't going anywhere. See, all hunkered down, laying flat like a bunny. She thinks she's invisible. I figured to play along and pretend like she was the invisible cow while we ate our soup. Martin was relieved that they had found Genevieve before dark. Dan looked more annoyed than relieved. Okay, boys, let's pack up all this stuff and go herd a cow. Martin had the three of them form a loose C-shape around Genevieve's thicket, then slowly close in. As they stepped closer, they crossed some invisible personal space barrier that cows have. Genevieve stood up quickly. She looked back and forth at the men, snorted, and stomped her foot. Dan flailed his arms and shouted, 
Hey, I, cow, get up. Dan, wait, said Martin. Red said, Ha, get up there, cow, go on. Genevieve bolted away from the men for two steps, but hesitated as she looked up the slope. She turned back suddenly, put her head down, and charged between Martin and Dan. She galloped across the stream and then turned to check out her pursuers. Martin let out a big sigh. Ah, let's not do it that way again, okay? Dan hung his head. I thought it would make her run away from us. Oh, hey, sorry, cozy cow. Uh, the bad man didn't mean it, Andy said to Genevieve. Bad man? Dan asked. Oh, hey, I'm not judging or anything. I just figured her little cow mind might be thinking badly of you. Uh, you, you know? Like, uh, I know you're okay and stuff, but... Never mind, Andy, said Martin. Let's just go try it again, without the yelling. Martin motioned for the others to spread out and proceed slower. Genevieve stood at the edge of the broader channel of the stream. Behind her, the woods looked thinner and brighter. What's back up there? Martin pointed beyond Genevieve. Ah, that's the power line cut, Dan said. Martin was unfamiliar with that part of Cheshire's backwoods. Well, where does it go, especially to the left? Dan thought for a moment. It kind of crosses the road down the hill from the dairy. Kind of? Martin asked. Well, you know, the wires cross, but you can't see the cuts so much. Trees are all grown up along the road, so you don't even really notice the clearing on either side. Martin squinted as he thought. Seems like it'll be easier for us to keep her between us in the open. Let's see if we can coax her into the power line cut. Maybe move her up to the road. Spread out, so we can form a C-shape around her. Andy, you go left. Dan, right. I'll take the middle. Hopefully, she'll try to stay out of our half-circle. Don't move in closer to her until I give the signal. Genevieve noticed the three men moving slowly around her, but she looked more curious than concerned. Once everyone was in position, Martin signaled for the others to close in very slowly. When they had crossed her invisible barrier, Genevieve raised her head high to stare at Martin. He stood still, but motioned for the other two to continue closing in. Martin could see that the cow was uncomfortable about the two men getting closer to her head and tail. She flapped her ears, stomped, and grunted. These are probably cow-speak for back off, Martin thought. When Andy and Dan didn't back off, Genevieve turned away. She trotted a few steps up the shallow embankment. Martin motioned for Andy and Dan to stop. Genevieve stopped and turned to face them. Oh, hey, not to worry, uh, cowsy cow. Andy held his hands out to his sides. I'm not some sort of predator creature. I'm like, you know, totally vegan. Yeah, well, at least I used to be until, well, I'm not sure. Uh, do squirrels count? Not so much talking, Andy, said Martin, but keep looking harmless and friendly. The three men moved slowly toward her, maintaining their C-shaped positions around the cow. She walked away. When the cow and the group of men entered the power line clearing, they came upon a path made by dirt bikes and ATVs, back when there was gasoline. Shift around, said Martin. Let's try to push her along this walk path. Walking at a slow pace, the three men coaxed Genevieve along the path. It was as if Martin and Genevieve were both north magnets. When he stepped forward, she walked away. Eventually, Andy and Dan could walk beside Martin on the sandy path. I wonder if the fourth raider will return to their camp, Dan mused. He'll find all their backpacks gone. 
He tugged at the two straps slung over his shoulder. Andy carried the other two. He'll have nothing and be alone in the woods. Well, that's not our problem, said Martin. He concentrated on reading Genevieve's body language. She didn't like it when he was directly behind her, in her blind spot. She would turn her head to get an eye on him and consequently veer off in the opposite direction to move away from him. Jenny, you're a bit like trying to back up a trailer, Martin said. He was learning to walk a bit to one side or the other, but cross over when he wanted her to turn. Good job, boys, shouted Red. She looks pretty good, if a bit tired. Yeah, where did you find her? Down by the stream, said Dan. That's not all we found, either. Dan sloughed off the two backpacks that he had slung over his shoulder. Andy's got the other two. Four backpacks mean four raiders, but we didn't see the fourth one. Nah, said Red. Raymond's group found him, hiding in a root hole. Ashley, you and Tim get Jenny inside and fixed up with a little of the good hay. She's going to need a good rest tonight. One of the backpacks had this. Martin held out the map for Red to see. Andy figured out that it was some sort of map and directions. It looks like they were coming here on purpose, not like they were wandering around and found a target of opportunity. Yeah, we've been thinking that too, said Red. They bypass stealing food or capturing women like we heard they do. Seemed more intent on killing our cattle. Well, hey, I don't mean to interrupt or anything, um, Andy said sheepishly. I just wanted to point out that their map has only a few squiggle runes before the Triple Lakes. If I read it right, uh, they followed a stream up from the bend of the Merrimack River, uh, east of Haverhill. Hmm. Red rubbed his stubbly beard. There's one of them criminal camps around there. That's probably who launched them. Dan leaned in. Yeah, it's a little weird that they came up here specifically to kill our cows, don't you think? Like you said, stealing food or kidnapping women is typical. What could possibly be in it for these guys? That ah, makes no sense. Red shook his head. We'll take care of it from here. You guys head home. Oh, and Martin, your wife already left for home a few hours ago. She told me to tell you. Oh, well, thanks, Red. Uh, we'd better be hitting the road. It'll be dark in a couple of hours. On the long walk back home, Martin had ample time to ponder the raiders' attack. It wasn't out of character for them to attack food supplies. But raiders usually wanted to haul off as much as they could carry. A few isolated raider camps had been found in the woods and border towns. Stealing food was their survival strategy. Killing cows, however, was more akin to the firebombs. The raiders didn't get to resupply, only destroy so others would have less. There was nothing obviously in it for them. Did the feds or whoever's been sending the squads of raiders up to New Hampshire promise them some special reward? It must be something extraordinary to be worth the risk of dying for it. Uh, Mr. S.? Andy bent down so he could look up into Martin's downcast eyes. Hey, I know you're all deep in thought and all, uh, but I was wondering if I might ask you for some, uh, manly advice. What? Martin wasn't paying close attention. Yeah, uh, well, you see, I know you know a lot about women. Oh, I wouldn't say that, Martin scoffed. Ah, sure you do. You don't have to go all denially on me. 
It's just the two of us out here on the trail, uh, man to man, you know. I mean, I've seen how you got away with the ladies, uh, like how you made that metal-working chick go all buttery. What? She did not go all buttery, and I did not make her do anything. She was confused, that's all. Ah, uh -huh, yeah, right. And you and Mrs. S., you're like the most solid romantically involved team since Ant-Man and the Wasp got together in issue 44 of uh, Tales to Astonish. Um, thanks? Martin had no idea what that meant. Yeah, yeah, and there's no denying how you got that Miss Susan all charmed. <laughs> of course, being your soulmate and stuff, uh, she really had no choice, right? Andy, don't start that again, okay? Oh, yeah, sorry. Still a sore point, huh? Uh, that means you're fighting the plasma. Well, that's not good. As your doctor, I advise you not to fight the plasma. My doctor? Oh, you know what I mean, Mr. S. Uh, don't slip into denial. Fighting the plasma and denial? Oh, that's a double whammy for your inner harmonicals. Martin heaved a sigh and kept his eye on the trail. The conversation was rapidly becoming quicksand. What did you want to ask for advice, Andy? Oh, hey, right, advice. <laughs> well, since you're really good with the ladies. Am not, Martin muttered. Yeah, whatever. Are too, by the way. Anyhow, I wanted to ask you what you thought I should do next about Mara. Mara? Uh, what do you mean, next? Well, you see, I kind of went out to her little hut to, uh, oh, no, 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 it's nothing kinky like that. Eh, no. Oh, no, she's my soulmate. Andy held his hands up as if admiring a huge billboard. The cosmic plasma isn't like some sort of one-star dating app. <laughs> no, I figured Mara and me needed to talk it out to help her come to grips with the whole enormity of the universe and stuff. Uh, and? And nothing. Uh, she's never there. There's a pot of water heating up on her fire ring. Sometimes there's fresh strips of meat smoking over the coals. I've been coming at lots of different times, staying for a couple hours. How can someone live someplace and never be home? You didn't call to her like you did Jenny, did you? Oh, well, I, uh, would that be bad? Um, yeah. Martin shook his head in disbelief. He might not know much about women, but calling to them like livestock was pretty obviously a bad idea. Oh, you sure? Uh, I thought sounding all friendly-like was the way to go. Uh, informal. Yeah, break the ice. But then, hey, you're the expert. Andy, stop saying that. Oh, hey, have it your way. So, what should I do? Mr. Expert, who says he's not the expert, but is anyway. Martin blew out a long sigh. What advice could he give? Andy and Mara were about as opposite as two people could be. Martin could picture Mara pairing up with someone like Conan the Barbarian, not with a skinny guy who lives in the eddies of pop culture. And he was still wearing his purple mutant ninja turtle headband. As much as Martin wanted to avoid the topic, Andy was sincerely asking for relationship advice. That deserved a serious attempt. What guidance could he give? Martin had a knack for getting into trouble with women's feelings, that hardly seemed like credentials for giving advice. Well, there's more to a relationship than just talking. Martin knew that that was a lame beginning. He was stalling. Just then, a Bible verse popped into his head. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ooh, that's a good start, Martin thought. God says a good husband is willing to give his life to protect his wife. 
If you really love someone, you'll do anything for them. Andy stopped and sucked in a huge, noisy breath of air. <gasps> That's exactly what Mara did. <gasps> she risked her life to save me from that X-Man. Oh, man. That proves it right there. Soulmates. Uh, but wait, that means I have to save her life. Oh, great idea, Mr. S. <sighs> That's the plan. Uh, That's what I'll do. Uh, hold on now, Martin cautioned. I didn't say that. I mean, yes, it would mean a lot, but think about it. She hunts coyotes with a spear, skins them, and eats them. I'm not even sure a bear would stand a chance against her. What are you going to rescue her from? Um, I see what you mean there, Mr. S. Uh, not a lot of life-saving opportunities. Martin chuckled to himself. No, not a lot of opportunities. But the point is doing something for her not just talking. If you really and truly love someone, you'll do the hardest thing you've ever done for them because it's good for them, not because it's good for you. In fact, you might not get anything out of it at all. Oh, I see where you're going there. Actions speak louder than words. I should maybe bring her a bag of beech nuts. That was my speciality uh, for our paleo commune of the new age. I studied foraging. Go with my strengths, eh? Uh, but wait, Gathering a bag of beech nuts isn't, like, the hardest thing i ever done. It's pretty easy, actually. It's a start, said Martin. Start out with a bag of beech nuts and work your way up to saving her from a bear. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, baby steps. Oh, man. Thanks for your manly wisdom and stuff. I just knew you knew how to win over to ladies. Andy, Martin scolded. Oh, I know. Andy winked. It's your denial thing. Oh, that's okay. Your secret is safe with me. Well, we're home. There's my shed of eternal awesomeness. I need to go clean up. Get caught up with my roomie Trevor. Well, hey, maybe he'll have some ideas on how to fight a bear. Uh, you think? Uh, night, Mr. S. Martin shook his head and waved. Margaret had already gone to bed. He needed to get some sleep, too. He had the first patrol shift in the morning and needed to be extra alert now that raiders were apparently in their area. The town meeting after that would also need his focused attention. He had to turn on his side to breathe some fresh air over the side of the bed. The garlic and clove gym socks smell from Margaret's bandage was not a sleep aid. Well, there you go. A full chapter this time. I didn't want to keep doing two-parters. This one edited down to about 38 minutes, so while it's a bit long, it's not too long for one sitting. This past week, the Siege podcast got a sudden influx of a hundred new listeners. I hadn't done anything new for marketing, so it's a mystery to me. Roughly two-thirds of them dropped out during book one. That's pretty typical. The Siege story isn't the usual post-apocalyptic tale, so it's not everybody's taste. The other third of them have been binge-listening their way through books one, two, and three. It might take them a little while before they get up to date, but they will. I'm really curious about where the mention came from. If you are one of those new listeners that started in early August, could you do me a favor and send me an email to let me know where you heard about the Siege podcast? My email is mick at mick-roland.com. As always, I want to thank my patrons on Patreon and my monthly members on Buy Me a Coffee. For you folks, I'll be posting Chapter 7 of Book 6 in a couple of days. There are links to my Buy Me a Coffee and Patreon pages in the show notes. 
Thanks for listening.